Hello, this is TL Dawnstar. You're about to listen to part two of a special two-part Carl Dark Cruiser Christmas standalone adventure. If you haven't listened to part one, A, what's the matter with you and call yourself a fan, B, go back and listen to that first. Go on, I'll wait. The Spirits of Peldegrin Hall, a Carl Dark Cruiser adventure, being a reprint of the memoirs of Count Reginald Flenderbatch. Part 2 Later, after I had sent my wife off to bed, for she had had quite enough excitement for one evening and doing her voices beginning to hurt my throat, I retired to the vast rotunda of Peldegrin Hall's absolutely massive library. Captain Darkruiser had most graciously offered to act as escort to ensure my wife's safe arrival at her bedchambers, and he entered the library around an hour later to find me perusing an ancient dusty tome in the light of a freshly ignited fire. I motioned for him to rest his rather well-defined buttocks upon the vacant armchair across from mine, and indicated the spread of party rings and cigars that lay upon the small side table next to it. Oh, forgive the Spartan nature of my refreshments, I said to him as he sunk into the studded leather. But as you are intimately aware, both my housekeeper and cook are dead and are ghosts. And you reckon if you bore me with some old earth fairy tale that's gonna change? Not exactly how I pictured this night playing out, but... Hey, it's your money, pal. Are you sitting comfortably? I asked wryly, rather enjoying my role as the proverbial mother goose. He placed Starho's iridescent footwear upon his lap, for reasons best known to himself, and haphazardly grabbed a fistful of party rings and rudely shoved them into his mouth. Yep, ready when you are, Grandpa. After a brief preamble in which I explained that I had not yet reached my thirtieth year, I began with a question. Tell me, Captain, what do you know about Old Earth? Couldn't tell you a god's damn thing about it. I'm a Brazzle boy. A little dust bowl planet deep in the arc hole of the galaxy and about as far away from Earth as you can get. Yet I suspect from the sharp glittering of your eyes, the thick, lustrous tangle of your hair and the impressive circumference of your upper arms that your antecedents were indeed of good Earthling stock. You gonna float with me all night or are we gonna bust some ghosts? A tangent, forgive me, I said with a wave of my hand, not remotely certain what a flirt was. As you may know, Captain, little record of old Earth culture survived the great Terran exodus, and the scant accounts of the age that remain extant are sorely incomplete. As such, it is believed by the finest historians upon this world that Christmas was a markedly different, savage affair in the pre-colonial era. Professor Henderley Cram, for example, right upon the subject of a mysterious band of wizards who dwelled in the ancient forest known as Roy Wood, and were said to have the power to alter time and reality itself by wishing it could be Christmas every day. Equally, Dr. Latency Pullover of the Dooley Institute remarks upon cannibalistic rituals pertaining to the trade of human organs, where upon the dawning of a Christmas day, a heart must be offered only for the recipient of the aforementioned cardiovascular endowment to give it away the very next day. Goddamn animals, <laughs> remarked Carl Darkruiser through pervasive gnashing of sugary biscuit. 
It is in remembrance of this horrific exchange that upon the morning of Christmas Day we give and receive gifts, often of awful or celebrity biographies. Right, got it. Christmas is about getting free stuff. Sounds good. I'm gonna go look for Dank. The spacefarer said sharply and half rose from his chair. Pray sit, Captain. I have no doubt that once my tale is told, your companion shall re-emerge. The man acquiesced and once again lowered himself into the fireside seat. While the receiving of shit presents is indeed a crucial element of the celebrated day, it is the anniversary of the creation of the magic baby that is at the heart of the festival. The, uh, the magic baby? Why, yes, the sublime babe has been a central figure throughout Christmas history. While scholars are divided on his origins, some arguing that the figure was in fact created as part of a soft drink marketing campaign, it is believed that the infant would bring plentiful merriment and feasting. Ah, oh, I get it now. Truly? Yeah, getting free stuff and getting hammered. Oh, no, 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 Captain. Tis about the spirit of joy, charity, and goodwill to all men and to some extent women. Isn't that what I just said? I threw my head in my hands in sheer exhaustion, let out a long, beleaguered sigh, and returned my gaze to the gormless outworlder. It was quite self-evident that my well-researched, scholarly approach was beyond the man's limited mental capacities, and a simpler explanation was required. Let us try again, said I, adopting the tone one might use when speaking to a child or a Welshman. The dictionary defines Christmas as... My words were cut short by a tremendous racket which echoed throughout the vast library. The sound appeared to be emanating from the far end of the great room, whilst simultaneously ringing in my ears as violently as if the source were no more than a foot away from my chair. I shall never forget the cacophonous howl that rang out that night, nor the beastly anguish barking that followed. Dark Cruiser stood suddenly, sending the recovered footwear of Mr. Starhole plummeting to the plush carpet below. He knelt to retrieve it, only to find it snatched up in the slobbering, translucent jaws of a great, ghostly hound. Before we could assess the beast, the brute was set to running, and within a matter of moments, we found ourselves hot on the haunches of the creature as it barreled down the long, winding corridors of Peldegrin Hall. When at last we had the thing cornered upon the landing of the fourth floor, I saw that the phantom was none other than my steadfast boyhood dog, Grimesby. The shaggy thing sat quite amiably upon his big and fat hind legs and barked away happily as we approached. I am not ashamed to admit that of all the horrors that befell us that evening, it was the vision of my faithful mongrel that so reddenly moistened my tear ducts with the salty sting of recovered childhood trauma. Grimesby! <laughs> cried I as I cried, and threw my arms around the best friend a boy, and indeed a man, could ever hope to have. To my shock and dismay, my attempted embrace was thwarted by the incorporeal nature of the beast. It is not necessary for me to expound upon the manner of my adolescent parting with the devoted Grimesby, and thus extend a narrative which has, and there are few who would disagree upon the following point, run severely long and is potentially over-verbose. Suffice it to say that the good dog appeared to us upon the landing, with all the distressing evidences of his gruesome end quite apparent, though it seemed that death had done little to dissuade his perpetual habit of being a thieving little bastard. Grimesby turned towards a doorway 
which had long since been boarded up with hefty planks of timber. What's behind that door? asked Captain Darkruiser as he struggled to excavate the shoe from Grimesby's slobbering mouth. It is a doorway to the old part of the house. The great fire had destroyed much of it and the wing was sealed off afterwards. No living soul has set foot in the old house for ten long years. Sounds like a perfect hiding spot to me, he said as he finally emerged victorious from the struggle betwixt man and ghost that he had been engaged in for some minutes. Grimesby must have caught Starhole's scent, I said expositionally. Oh, good boy, you've led us right to him. Dark Cruiser moved towards the sealed doorway, quite rudely stepping through my beloved hound as he did so, and set to work prying the heavy wooden planks from it with his big fingers. You do not mean to go in there, surely, sir. It is not safe. Not safe is my middle name, baby. If it's danger you're after, mate, came a hissing, sinister, and distinctly working-class voice from behind us. You'll have your fill from me and no mistake. We turned, and for the second time that treacherous night, I beheld the thin, sallow face and wild, burning eyes of the vengeful Snetherton. That is the very man himself! I shouted with a point. That is Snetherton! Then stand back, Reggie. It's time to bring home the bacon. I did as requested, for I had no wish to physically confront the brute. Though do not misunderstand me, had I not engaged the services of Captain Darkruiser, I'd have chinned the geezer myself. Darkruiser took a step towards Snetherton, his hand slowly descending towards his holster. What have you done with Dank? I don't know nothing about it. I'm just here to get what I'm owed. Alright, so you want to play hardball, huh? Well, I got bad news for you, buddy. You picked a guy with the hardest balls in the galaxy. Where's your honor, sir? Siding with a man who left me out of a job with but four days to go till Christmas. Hey, he pays well. With a speed rarely seen outside of the freaks of Mr. Browning's circus, the captain whipped free his strange weapon and leveled it at Snetherton. He fired rapidly, but an infinitesimally small moment before the blazing light left the barrel of the alien firearm, Snetherton darted hither and thither, sneaking his way through the chill air of the landing. It was as if the man knew Dark Cruiser's every move before he made it, and within a handful of moments, the vile cook was upon Carl Dark Cruiser, seizing the man by the lapels of his preposterous puffy waistcoat and wrestling the gun free, sending it flying across the landing towards the stairs. A hand burned and hardened by years of kitchen-bound drudgery struck the captain across the face. You hit pretty hard for a ghost, Dark Cruiser retorted, maintaining the cool response to mortal danger that I had come to admire in him over the course of our short adventure together. The captain's knee jerked upward in an attempt to pulverize the vulnerable dangle of Snetherton's testicular array, while the targeted genital strike was battered away with the casualty that one might employ when swatting away a stinging insect or a Welshman. I turned to command Grimesby to attack but my childhood chum was gone, and there was only the faint smell of wet dog to indicate his previous manifestation. You'll not get one over on old Snetherton, Spaceman. I knows every move you're gonna make. And what of mine, sir? Snetherton's horrible head spun, and I observed, with a great satisfaction that warms my very bowels even to recall it today, the look of sheer bewilderment and utter incredulity that spread across his pockmarked face as he beheld my wife 
with Captain Da Cruz's gun clutched tight in her dainty hands. From the weapon, a high whine could be heard, and a bright light set into the reflective metal along the barrel shone ruby red. Looking back upon the events that occurred over the next few seconds, it is tempting to retroactively impose some order upon them for the pleasure of the reader, who may reap the benefits of the dramatic contrivance. Yet, if my account is to remain truthful to my experience of the affair, then such an imposition would, as far as it appears to me, somewhat diminish the feeling of confusion and chaos that weighed upon the occurrences like a big hat. The exact sequence of events may, I fear, never be assembled into a coherent chain, but in some order or other, this is what happened. The form of Snetherton began to flicker and fade, as he swore the strongest oaths that it was not yet his time, and there was work that remained for him to finish. My wife pulled the trigger of the gun. Carl Darkruiser called her name to warn against committing to the discharge. Myself and the captain were blown back through the sealed door with a great crash, whereupon the crossbeam of the opening collapsed, and our exit was blocked by tumbling debris. And that is how we found ourselves trapped in the foreboding, abandoned emptiness of the old wing of Peldegrin Hall. Man, Captain Dark Cruiser grumbled as he got to his feet. Ah, that guy really puts the dick into Kenzian. I gathered myself up off the dusty floor, and a terrible worry suddenly gripped me. I quickly fondled the pockets of my housecoat, and my consternation was alleviated as I discovered that the various bottles of Tolivian Mine Schnapps, Argyle Prime's finest peach brandy, and the vintage Old Earth Bacardi Breezes had mercifully remained intact. Safe in the knowledge that the veritable cornucopia of jollifying agents was secure, my thoughts turned to the fate of my wife, whom was trapped upon the other side of the impassable blockage. I hobbled to the door, for a splinter had embedded itself into my ankle in my recent deportation, and pressed up against the dusty pile of detritus, and called for my wife. My wife! I called. Goodness, Carl, Carl, are you all right? And Reginald? Now that, I thought to myself, is a tremendous hostess. Even in so grave a situation, she displays the exemplary courtesy to inquire as to the well-being of our guest first, even over that of her severely injured husband. Affirmative, Annie, answered Captain Darkruiser as I inadvisedly fingered at my laceration. We're okay. My sincerest apologies, Carl. I assure you I had no intent to harm you. Or Reginald. I do not know of weapons, least of all this strange outworlder device. You must have set the face blaster to concussive blast somehow. It was a nice shot, though. Can you see a way out? Nah. We're sealed up tighter than Dank's wallet. You better hang on to that gun just in case that nutjob shows up again, though. Oh, all right, said my wife in a quavering voice. Just don't hit the red button again, or you'll bring the whole damn house down. Very well. Good luck. Upon hearing the light, pattering footsteps of my wife dissipate away down the stairs, we surveyed the dusty passageway in which we found ourselves. Aside from the occasional milky-white shafts of moonlight that beamed in through the crumbling roof, the foreboding length of fire-damaged hallway was entirely black. 
Dark Cruiser reached into one of his copious pockets and produced a small, smooth orb, in the order of size of an association football ball. With a grace of movement that belied his rough manner, the spacefarer threw the orb high into the murky air, where, to my astonishment, it lingered, before producing from it a soft yellow glow which illuminated the corridor in a mustardy wash. If your ghost dog was right, Dank's gotta be in here somewhere. As keen as I am to locate Mr. Starhole, I think it best if I resume my lecture upon the true meaning of the holiday, for I stand by my previous assertion that this whole matter should be cleared up upon your acceptance of the goodwill of the season. Look, mister, you ain't paying me enough to learn a lesson about the magic of this Christmas thing. Something stinks in this house, and it's got frazzle to do with this spooky bullcrap. Don't you see, man? Your misunderstanding of my words in the library and the subsequent appearance of both Grimesby and Snetherton is further proof of what I say is true. Every time you are dismissive or churlish, some fresh horror manifests. You keep telling yourself that, fancy pants. If you want to yak at me while I work, go ahead. But I ain't exactly in a festive mood after nearly getting my ass handed to me by some goddamn Vicky ghost boy. Now I'm gonna get to the bottom of this thing one way or another. You coming? I nodded in reproached silence, for I felt the man's dander rising. Had a fellow of his standing spoken to me in such a way under normal circumstances, I would not have hesitated to issue one of my legendary thrashings. But my recent ailment rendered me far from fighting fit. Dark Cruiser strode off down the corridor, and I followed behind him as quickly as my ankle would allow all the while regaling him with tales of Christmases past, in the hopes of drawing out from within him some sentimental movement. In the brief moments between my reminiscences, the creaking, shifting, unstable structure of the old wing creaked, shifted, and became unstable around us, as if the ancient wood were expressing its displeasure at our intrusion. We rounded a corner, and before us lay the wreck and ruin of the once proud and vast staircase that descended into the original billiard room and chill-out zone. The captain held out his large fist in front of me to impede my progress down the stairs. Wait, said he. Listen. I strained my ears in the dim urine-colored light of Dark Cruiser's mysterious levitating ball, and above the strangely organic sounds that all houses of a certain age seem to generate, I heard the ticking of a clock. Not in and of itself an unusual sound, but when one considers the terrible fire that ravaged this wing of Peldegrin Hall, and the sheer unlikeliness of the timepiece surviving the flames, the metronomic rapping took on a woeful and demonic aspect. Not only that, but the sound appeared to tick-tock and tock-tick at the same time. Check your watch, ordered the captain. I rifled through the pockets of my waistcoat, navigating my hand around several gin miniatures and whipped out my fob. The hands of the watch were, to put it in the parlance to which my companion Carl Darkcruiser seemed accustomed, going completely fucking bonkers. The captain held up his wrist-bound instrument, which I gathered served a similar function, and the numbers upon its display were dancing in the same erratic manner. I have found myself unstuck in time upon several occasions this evening, said I to Darkcruiser. Could it be that we are near the devilish heart of this mischief? I'd bet the farm on it. He stepped forward and placed a booted foot upon the top stair. Before he could go any further, a great bolt of lightning rose from the bottom of the stair and shot up towards us. I threw my hands in front of my face and fell to my knees, certain in the knowledge that my complete obliteration was but moments away. However, 
I felt no heat, save for the mild trickle of warmth that was at that very moment snaking its way down my left trouser neck. The sudden maelstrom resolved itself into a great crackling wall of shimmering blue ionization, which blocked the downward path. What vile sorcery is this? Take it easy, compadre. A gay man's got a plan. Dark Cruiser once again reached into his pockets and pulled out a fistful of small metal discs. It was plain from a moment's examination that they were not of Victoriana 9, though by their size and shape, I took them to be coins of some kind. Upon the faces of the foreign money, in place of the sultry, alluring image of Her Majesty, resplendent in crown and nothing else, <coughs> that adorns our own pounds, shillings and pence, lay a large letter Q, which held within it what I took to be a numeral of some kind. Here you go, sweetie, he remarked, flicking one of the coins towards me. Buy yourself some pretty, huh? Recalling my days as substitute assistant to the captain of my alma mater's bastard school for boys crick rounders team, I cupped my hands and very nearly had the coin within them. It speaks to the vagaries of human memory that it is this fumbled catch that is perhaps my most vivid recollection of that fantastic night. Carl Darkruiser laughed a long, hearty laugh, and as he reached the crescendo of his cruel mockery of me, he jettisoned the remaining currency from his gloved hands into the sheet of electricity in front of him. Each of the metallic circles struck the wall in a dazzling sunflower-shaped flash of light, and the pervasive hum that had permeated the air since the inception of the magical barrier faded into nothingness, as did the barrier itself. Dark Cruiser stepped through, unharmed and unmolested, and turned to face me. On your feet, sunshine. Let's go. I looked down at the coin in my hand, then up to the severe face of the outworlder. Don't you see what has happened here? Yeah, I overloaded that mag shield with a handful of cubits. It's an old trick. My dear captain, you do prattle on with the most delightful nonsense. No, 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 this is what I have been saying. The man looked at me blankly. I held up the coin and took a step towards him. You have gifted this to me in the spirit of generosity. You have forgone your own wealth in order to assist me in my time of need, and at the moment of your selfless act, whatever malcontent phantom sought to block our path has been dispelled. Sure, and I'm the one who talks nonsense. You are entering into the festive spirit, my dear boy. Mark my words, we shall be sharing a yuletide carol ere the evening is out. Oh well, why wait? Are you hanging? <laughs> the man rudely grabbed me by my lapels and pulled me in close. I do not sing. Whatever foul maleficence had sought to grasp Peldegrin Hall in its icy cold hand that night, the pressure with which it wrapped its deadly talons around the house grew stronger and stronger as Captain Darkruiser and I ventured deeper into the old wing. As the night drew on and we shuffled through the scarred and ruined passageways and navigated the collapsed chambers of the once palatial interior, there appeared to us, at every turn, behind every door, from beneath every shattered floorboard, wispy spectral figures of the unquiet dead drawn from their graves by some inexorable force to set their shadowy plans against our sanity. 
There, once again, was the erstwhile Mrs. Shaughnessy Receptacle, clutching a tray upon the top of which was arranged the most splendid array of festive treats, pickled trout madeleines, piping tripe fancies, and a cut-glass carafe of mulled cheeky vimto. The intoxicating aromas transcended the weakening barrier between our own world and that of the spirits. You'll not want to be going any further than you've come, sir, she whispered in a harried manner. It is a foul thing that awaits you, a foul thing indeed. Pray, Mrs. Receptacle, tell me what it is. Oh, sir, it be terrible. She began, but her remarks were disrupted by the large hand of Carl Darkcruiser, which snatched greedily at the confectionery. Her form appeared to swirl and eddy slightly, like a drop of ink in a glass of water. An all-consuming look of disappointment and chagrin swept across Darkcruiser's face as he failed to connect with the supernatural sustenance, and his hand returned to his mouth, gripping nothing but thin air. Mrs. Receptacle moved a fraction closer to me by some obscure means which allowed her to slide effortlessly through the musty atmosphere. There's a terrible truth at the heart of Peldegrin Hall, sir, for you see. <laughs> Another, more determined swipe from the space captain ensured that her second attempt at revelation was as equally disrupted as the first. Dear Shaughnessy brushed off the rude gesture, displaying in death the same seemingly inexhaustible reserves of patience and grace that she had had in life. Darkruiser waved a dismissive hand and stormed off a few paces down the corridor. Believe me when I tell you, sir, that within a matter of mere seconds, it became clear that the captain's previous maneuver had been executed in order to provide him with a run-up, and he launched himself with both hands thrown out in front of him towards the tray. In some small way, I admired his tenacity and commitment to the purloining of Mrs. Receptacle's sweeties, though I could not condone his absurdly ineffective methods. As he plummeted empty-handed to the charred floor, I allowed myself a momentary giggle at the gentleman's expense. The result of his aerial attack pattern, however, was that Mrs. Receptacle was blown away like the smoke of a fine cigar from a pair of fine mustachioed lips. Her spirit dissipated, and the space where she floated grew bitterly cold. I grew sworn that as she vanished, I heard her whispered, A fuck the pair of you, then. Well, a fine job you made of that man, I ejaculated as he lay panting face down on the floor. Now we shall never know what message the spirit had for us. Hey, you're the one who told me to eat, drink, and be merry. Off the floor with you, man, for heaven's sake. Does this part of the house have a basement? Well, there is the old wine cellar, but no one has set foot in there in... Well, must be thirty years, not since my great-uncle Tyrese was count. He was a wicked one for the demon drink, you see, and the cellar has stood empty since his legendary bender of eighty-seven. Then how, my jolly old fellow, do you explain that? Said my hired goon, his face still flat upon the floorboards. The captain rolled over inelegantly, and through the crack in the flooring, which had until so recently been obscured by his totally shredded body, a beam of light, the color of which I fear I lack the literary prowess to accurately describe, shone out in a needle-thin beam that reached high into the blackened bones of the scorched buttresses high above. I peered sheepishly into the cavernous cavern which stretched deep into the ancient soil below, and caught a glimpse 
of a flesh-colored shining spot in the gloom. Great Scott! I cried. I believe it is Mr. Starhole. Let me see. Get out, guy. Come on, steady on, chap. Stank! Carl! Carl, is that you in here? Hang tight, old buddy. I'm coming for you. No sooner had Captain Dark Cruiser quite roughly pulled me off than the crack was sealed shut by sticky, thick tendrils of murky thread like the webbing of some great spider. Stand back! He twisted his peculiar wrist-bound device, and from it issued a column of scarlet-red fire which tore through the flooring as if it were a hot night through cold butter. The wood began to fall away, but as fast as it did so, more of the glooping organic matter rose to meet it, and it quickly became clear that Dark Cruiser's attempt to break through was doomed to fail. Is there any other way down there? Oh, uh, we might be able to make our way through the... the... Oh, oh dear. I'm running out of time. Through where? Come on, man. Through the dark web. The raging tempest that had torn the night asunder had calmed to a soft, silent snowfall. Under any other circumstances, the gentle caress of the icy flutter upon a Christmas Eve could be called pleasant, and yet, as I stood, the depth of the well stretching down before me, the small white snowflakes were as the floating embers of a great fire that had burned what little remained of my nerves to ashes. Having made our way through the collapsed north end of the old wing, Captain Dark Cruiser and I found ourselves in the overgrown, weed-choked wall garden at the edge of the Peldegrin estate. The disreputable state in which the garden found itself was owing to the fact that my previous seven groundsmen had fallen to their watery graves in the very well in which I was now very well looking in. Ordinarily, were I to find myself at some part of the house or garden that was the site of the death of a servant, the knowledge of the event would weigh no heavier upon my head than that of a fine new Moroccan fez. Indeed, I would allow myself very few areas in which I could stand unmolested by ill thoughts, Heldegrin boasting, as it does, a long history of horrific workplace accidents, some seventy percent of them well related, were I to allow such commonplace matters to play upon my nerves. However, the combination of the loads of ghosts we'd already seen that night, and the fact that I, potentially, it could be argued, was somewhat allegedly reported in some manner, implicated in the untimely demises, chiefly due to my perfectly reasonable refusal to part with the frankly exorbitant fee of two shillings for some bits of wood to cover the damn thing. But anyway, Inspector Calhoun ruled them all accidents and no charges would be brought, so that ought to be the end of the matter, and I'd really appreciate it if people stopped banging on about it. Made me somewhat uneasy about the prospect of entering the so-called Dark Well. It was while I was considering this that Carl Dark Cruiser pushed me in. Get in I plummeted to what I assumed at the time would be my certain death only to have my collision with the filthy water at the bottom, cushioned by a soft bubble of warm air. It was later explained to me by my companion that he had used something called a grav grenade to achieve the effect, and he joined me a moment later via the same method. He blew a hole in the side of the shaft, and we made our way into the old sewer system that ran to the old wine cellar. We're getting close, Dark Cruiser said suddenly about halfway through our journey. How can you tell? said I. Take a look in the water. 
It's pretty trippy. I did as instructed, and gazed into the reflective brown filth. What stared back at me chilled my very soul to its core. The man had my eyes, but they were sunken and set deep into a gaunt, wrinkled face with ashen grey skin. The man had my moustache, yet it was not the deep, rich brown as it should be, but slate grey and flecked with streaks of snowy white. It was as if my long-dead dickhead of a father had risen from his untimely grave to torment me. Yet, I knew that the ancient, emaciated face which regarded me with shock and terror was my own. No sooner had I come to this inflammatory realization than the distorted reflection shifted and mutated into that of a small, very handsome boy. This was also me, just in case you think I'm being weird. Other than the mind-altering visions that stay with me to this day and fundamentally changed my outlook upon my own mortality, our trudge was uneventful, and within around half an hour, or three days, or five minutes, we found ourselves at the door, leading to the old cellar. Why the architects of the house decided that a wine cellar needed direct access to and from an underground sewer network will, I fear, remain a mystery. I doubt that questions of such a nature plagued the mind of Captain Carl Darkruiser as he booted in the door. God's tits! What in the ever-living f*** is that thing? I cried as the door flew from its rusted hinges. I made a mental note to deduct the cost of the repair from Darkruiser's fee and beheld a horrid creature lurking in the shadows. It stood the height of two men and about half a woman, with great gangling arms, the number of which was impossible to identify in the gloom, reaching down past its equally gangly legs and scraping through the damp mud. The demon spun its head, and the light produced by the vast machine by which it stood caught its myriad eyes. The fear that gripped me as the beast's black, beady, soulless, dead eyes stared me down was of such a remarkable constitution that not even the swift application of my bepocketed stash of Tolivian mind schnapps, Argyle Fine's finest peach brandy, and the vintage old earth Bacardi breezes could quell my consternation. What's a nice spider boy like you doing in a place like this? asked Captain Dark Cruiser coolly. Uh, the beast spluttered. Uh, oh shit, a bad Frank! At the monster's bellowing, a second, even more hideous abomination scurried out from behind the machine. I swear to the brood, mother, brother Gert, if you've messed up the chronosynaptic calibration circuit again, I'll have your cephalothorax for breakfast. It barked in a furious tone. The creature was taller than the first, and a deep scar ran across its face. Oh. You've broke me Christmas dinner, I see. You see, Captain, even this monster knows tis the season. Now is not the time. <coughs> Came a cry from above. Dark Cruiser and I flung our heads upwards to see Dank Starhole hanging upside down from the cavernous ceiling by a long tendril of stringy web. His arms were bound across his chest, which gave him the appearance of a big bald bat. Darkruiser reached for his phase blaster, but found the handsome darkish blue holster empty. The scarred spider laughed a bone-rattling <laughs> laugh. What's the matter, little human? Not sure tough without your little popgun. <laughs> the man-spider leapt at my companion, 
throwing out its four arms and four legs, which quickly wrapped themselves around the outworlder's large frame. Dark Cruiser struggled as the beast pinned him against the crumbling bricks of the cellar wall. He ejaculated as sticky fluid sprayed across his chest and arms, adhering him to the wall. Mustering what courage I could, I made a dash for the machine, hoping to find some sharp tool which I might use to release Mr. Starhole. But my progress towards the contraption was abruptly halted by a leg covered in more minuscule needle-sharp hairs than the upper lip of my wife's late mother. The leg's owner, the horrid, scarred wreck of Frank, smiled evilly, bearing three rows of pointed teeth. Where is the going, Vicar? He snarled. Before I could take stock of the situation, I was thrown across the space and landed against some metal barrels. A loud clang echoed throughout the chamber, and at the peak of the volume of the noise, tumbling rocks and trails of dust dislodged from the ceiling and fell upon the spider's hairy head. The being angrily brushed it off and began to stride toward me with violent intent. Get that temporal displacement, Richards! Reset now, you little shit! I'll deal with this one. Oh, shut up, you spinnerets, Frank! What did you just say to me, brother dear? I'm sick of you telling me what to do! You've gone mad with power and I'm not anymore, you hear me? The smaller spider yelled as he unleashed a streaming jet of webbing and stuck his supposed employer to the ground beneath him. At the sound of his cry, another handful of earth fell upon the monster. That's it! shouted Darkruiser from his bound position. Hey, Reggie! What was that stupid song you were gonna sing? I hardly think this is the time for Christmas carols, Captain Dark Cruiser. Just sing! I took as deep a breath as my winded chest would allow, in preparation for the singing of the traditional ancient old earth hymn that had rang out upon this very night for countless centuries. It was the most perfect piece of primitive pre-colonial music that had made the journey across the stars, and each and every year, it had brought together men, and to some extent women, in holy song. Is thou hanging up thine stocking upon yon wall? Is the time that every Santana has a ball? Does thou ride? As I belted out the total banger, larger and larger chunks of rock began to fall upon the wicked monster, and to my utter surprise and delight, I found myself joined in song by the rough voice of Captain Carl Darkruiser. And then, at his vigorous insistence, the surprisingly melodic baritone of Dank Starhole. Then, yet more voices joined our impromptu choir. The crisp falsetto of Brother Gurf, the sing-song regional lilt of Mrs. Receptacle, the truly, truly awful caterwauling of my wife's mother. Even Grimesby howled along happily with the Yuletide singing. With our voices combined, it was as if the very heavens themselves cracked open with elation at our festive chorus. Hails of brick and bits of wood rained down upon the monstrous Frank, and he and the mysterious machine were buried beneath an avalanche of cold, icy earth.
all that remained was a pile of splintered wooden beams, twisted metal, and broken spider legs. Through the dust cloud that erupted from the collision, I saw the amassed spirits of Peldegrin Hall, including the villainous Snetherton, flutter away in a mystical swirl of sparkling embers, like snowflakes upon the wind. When the dust had settled, I regained my feet and witnessed Carl Darkruiser, who had freed himself from his sticky imprisonment, release Captain Starhole, who had fallen to the ground when the ceiling had given way from his own cocoon. The pair embraced in a way that suggested to me that my earlier supposition that the men had once been lovers may not have been so preposterous after all. A fine show, gentlemen! I ejaculated, taking both men in my hands. A fine show indeed! What in the hell's just happened? Oh, it is quite simple. The good captain here entered into the festive spirit with a song on his lips and goodness in his heart, and the spectres that had so played us are vanished. <laughs> More like the harmonic resonance of the sound waves created by that damn song caused a cave-in. We better get out of here before the whole thing comes down. Only if those spooks had gone. The, uh, spooks, as you call them. Uh, they shouldn't be bothering you anymore, said the surviving spider. But the big fella's right. This cell is unstable. I'd be happy to explain everything. Perhaps over a drink? A drink? The very nerve of you! Ah, come on, Reggie. Let's get the kid a drink. It is Christmas, after all. A few hours later, after I'd completed the ablutions necessary to cleanse myself of the residual layer of adventure that had gotten all up in my mustache and ass. I attended the three most singular guests that the parlor of Peldegrin Hall had ever seen, namely the daring space pirates Dark Cruiser and Starhole, and the bizarre spider-like being whom I'd learnt was named Gurf. We supped on some simple rations of oat jerky and pigskin biscuits washed down with iced wine before the conversation turned expositional. I shall not endeavor to recount the exact words which were uttered by those present, the reason for this is not, as some have insinuated, that the effects of nearly 27 hours of near-continuous alcohol consumption had rendered my perception and memory of the event elucid, but rather that my uppity lady publisher Michelle demanded that experiences be made in the narrative due to it being, and I quote, massively bloated and self-indulgent. Gurf explained to us, as he swirled a glass of cognac in each of his arms, that a great war was presently raging across the stars, the roots of which lay, rather absurdly I supposed, in the disputed taxation policy upon the import and export of certain fruits. His people were drawn into the conflict when their Prime Minister was caught in flagrante with a punnet of mooka berries. We Disnarkian spider boys are not a military people. We're predominantly scientists or marketing consultants. So when we got dragged into the war, well, we had no way to defend ourselves. That's when our most brilliant mind, Frank, came up with a plan to prevent the war from ever happening in the first place. That raving lunatic down there is your most brilliant mind? He was once, but his genius and obsession consumed him and he went f bananas. I knew he'd gone over the edge when he nabbed Dank. Well, he was a big lad and I couldn't have handled him on my own. The spider boy continued his statement technically detailing, in great technical detail, the workings of the great machine that he and Frank had been constructing beneath my very feet. He called it a temporal realignment mechanism, which I confess meant very little to me, 
So what the hell's are a couple of spider boys with an experimental time weapon doing in the wine cellar of some old dump on Victoriana 9? Well, no, no offence, Reg, said Starhole, as if the amendum to his question in any way reduced the significant amounts of offence I had taken. This planet's perfect for temporal experimentation. If it slips back a few centuries, it's not like anyone would notice. But what has any of this to do with the spirits? Hang on, our command gave me a statement to read out in case we were discovered. Excuse me, sir. Here we are. <clears throat> Congratulations on being selected to involuntarily take part in the Disnarkian Time Weapons Program. Please note that while our temporal engineers are operating on your planet, you may experience some localised time anomalies such as dead friends, relatives, or disgruntled ex-employees appearing in incorporeal, semi-incorporeal, or solid states. This is due to ongoing works to the space-time continuum in your area. The Disnakian Time Weapons Program apologises for any inconvenience this may cause to your sanity. Other side effects may include, but are not limited to, weather irregularities, localised temperature fluctuations, Rapid aging, de-aging, side aging, and death. Well, that perfectly explains everything, said Starhoo. Come on, Carl, let's get off this fog ball. You remember that we crash landed here, right? I can fix your ship if you'll give me a lift to Spaceport 6. Sounds like a deal to me. And what of that strange machine? Asked I. Might be worth a few cubits. No, time stuff's nothing but trouble. I suggest, Count Flenderbatch, that you fill in that cellar with concrete and forget it ever existed. I shall do as you say. All right, then. Jobs are good'n. We all shook hands, which in Gurf's case took some little time, and my strange visitors ambled off in the direction of the door. As the great door swung open, the brisk, bright air of a beautiful winter's morn swept into the musty house, and golden beams of sunlight illuminated the hallway in a heavenly glow. The coldness of the air and the light of the day blew from me the lingering melancholy which my macabre adventure had left me. Yet, due to the machinations of Gurf's infernal mechanism, I found myself at that moment quite unaware of how much time had truly passed. As Carl Darkruiser neared his ship, I called after him. You boy! I cried. What day is today? Today, replied the captain. Why, it is Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I said to myself, That we have not missed it! Oh, must you gentlemen be off so soon? I have the most excellent vintage of white lightning, and my wife shall have a marvellous dinner upon the table in but a few hours. Nah, you're not eight, thanks. You've got a pee. We'll be off. Hold on a sec, Dank, said Carl. I think I might just give this Christmas thing a shot. So my strange tale draws to its conclusion, and while the explanation for the singular haunting of Peldegrin Hall that memorable Christmas Eve may be laid at the door of the infernal alien machine buried in its grounds, it is my solemn belief that the great old house was spared a terrible fate thanks to the sentimentality of the season worming its way into the hard heart of a rugged space pirate. In the long years since, I have heard little of Carl Darkruiser, save for rumours and whispers that as the Yuletide draws near, he is known as the jolliest, 
gayest, and most avuncular of men that this old galaxy has ever known. The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio, written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. The voice of Carl Dark Cruiser and everyone else was T.L. Dawnstar. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl_darkcruiser. Rate, review, and tell your friends and enemies.